0: Greetings, my friend, and welcome to Beyond Curious, conversations with brave adventurers like yourself that are taking voyages into the unknown to satisfy their curiosity, fulfill their purpose, and bring their ideas to life. I'm Brandon Fong, and I am so excited to have you here, whether you are a new friend or an old friend. Today, you and I get to hang out with my friend, Lucas Root
1: strapped myself in, I was ready to go. I jumped off the edge of a cliff very literally with a wing strapped to my back. And as soon as I jumped off, it started to fall apart. So I had accidentally um, in my excitement and in my haste, I had not set, it up, set up my hang glider correctly. And and I'm in the, I'm in the middle of, I'm 400 feet high, um, which is too low for my parachute to work um, with my hang glider falling apart around me. Yes, you heard that
0: correctly. Lucas literally jumped off a cliff and watched as his hang glider fell apart around him. Obviously, he is alive to tell the tale. And you're going to have to obviously listen to the rest of the episode to figure out how he survived from that. But man, this is a super fun episode that goes all over the place, super energetic, and I cannot wait for you to listen. So let me tell you a little bit about Lucas. Lucas actually spent 17 years on Wall Street doing mergers and acquisitions. And he burned out pretty badly in his own words in the podcast. He says he was dying and a ghost in his own skin. And he really realized that he needed to change. So he put on his consulting hat, starting out by making 400 cold calls in six months. 398 people said no, (laughs) but two said yes, and one of them was the Pokemon company, and Lucas is actually still consulting and working with them over eight and a half years later, and man, there's so much that you're going to learn from that part of the episode, but anyways, Lucas is the host of the Elements of the Community Podcast, and then in addition to those things that I just mentioned, he's also an advocate for the use of technology to build stronger, more inclusive communities, and is a leading expert in AI and its potential to transform society, and he's super passionate about leveraging technology to drive meaningful change. He is an incredible community builder and we dive all into his thoughts into community. So there's so much to look forward to in today's episode, but I would love for you to look out for three specific things. Number one, how did Lucas survive that near death hang gliding experience? I guess you're gonna have to listen for that one. Number two, how the language you use shapes your reality and why it is the number one element to building effective communities. Love that part of the conversation. And number three, the number one and surprising thing that Lucas. Lucas learned from watching Pokemon grow and being a part of Pokemon growing from $400 million to several billion dollars in sales. It was a massive lesson for me that I'm excited for you to listen to and take away. So anyways, if you can't tell from this, this is a wide ranging and all over the place, fun conversation. So without any further ado, here is my friend, Lucas Root. I am Root, Mr. Lucas Root. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here, my friend.
1: I'm super excited to be here. Um, and yes, I am Root.
0: <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's it funny. Um,
1: I... you, you probably know this, but my father's name is Gary. So he is Groot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't know that. But literally every single time I see your last name, I have to say I am I am Root. So even though I'm not that big of a fan of that movie, it's just, it's awesome. So amazing. Well, Lucas, I, I've been so looking forward to this conversation and nerding out about community with you and you and I have connected over this topic. And I believe my purpose is to create a more deeply connected world and community is just obviously one of the biggest levers for that. So there's so much that I want to dive into that. But as always, I'd love for people to kind of get to know you a little bit and a little bit about your journey. And as I said before, I chatted with our mutual friend, Caitlin, and uh, I asked her if there might be a fun question to ask you. And one of the things she brought up, I'm like, I have to ask about this hang gliding. Talk to us a little bit about <laughs> <No>. hang gliding, <laughs> if that's okay.
1: <laughs> it it is okay, uh, and there's a story in there, and I I know exactly <laughs> what she's inviting us to talk about. Um, so my uh, <laughs> my my I grew up in northern Vermont. And uh, the, the community I grew up in was a true community where you could really, truly go over to your neighbors and they would leave the back door unlocked so that you could get in and help yourself to a cup of sugar if they weren't home. Truly, uh, it was amazing. And, and that's still true today. Um, I, I know where I can go and I'm, now I'm 3,000 miles away, but I know where I can go anytime I need to, to get you know a hot dog or a cup of water or whatever, and, and the doors are unlocked. Um, When I was uh, I, when I was 14 my um, my father and all of he's he's one of six and his brothers and sisters all got together on the phone and said hey you know we've gotten to a point where we're all successful enough to be able to go on vacation together, which is kind of cool um, and and so they they all had this sort of mastermind where they sat down and and mapped out all the possible vacations that they could do together. Um, and they picked Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, just, just completely randomly. Um, they, they said, you know, how far can we, how far can we tolerate driving? And, and North Carolina was it. And they were like, all right, where in North Carolina is cool to go. And so they picked Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And we went down to Kitty Hawk, North Carolina for our spring vacation that year. And, and, and we were not planning on going to the largest dune in the world and hang gliding where the Wright brothers hang glide. Um, that was not the intent, but, but of course, when you're in Rome, you, you do what Romans do. And we were in Kitty Hawk and you do what people in Kitty Hawk do and that's go hang glide where the Wright brothers hang glide. Um, and we loved it and it was the coolest thing ever. And so we went back the next year and we, did more hang gliding and the, the instructors started to get to know us because it was so much fun and we just show up every single day and um, we went back the next year now i'm 16 and i've gone two years in a row. And um, all my family is excited about this hang gliding thing so we're looking for places to go in the northeast I, I grew up in northern Vermont we're looking for places to go in, in Vermont New Hampshire and maine and and uh, where you know where to go hang glide together as a as an extended family in the summers. Um, and we started to get good at it and, and loved, you know, having that be the thing that would um, drive us together as a family, that was the activity that, that brought us together over and over again. So I was three years after that, I'm 19, I'm out of college, um, I'm coming home, I'm sorry, out of high school, I'm coming home and uh, going hang gliding with my dad. And one day, the wind was what, what you call really sweet. Um, we're, we're, you know, we're looking at this wind coming in smooth and and sweet and and hitting the hill just right. And this is the kind of day where you're going to be up there for hours. And, um, in fact, that was true. And I was so excited, uh, to get up on the hill and, and, and I did went all the way up. I got up on the, on the launch pad. I strapped myself in, I was ready to go. I jumped off the edge of a cliff, very literally with the wing strapped to my back and, as soon as I jumped off, it started to fall apart. So I had accidentally, um, in my excitement and in my haste, I had not set, it up, set up my hang glider correctly. And, oh my God. and I'm, in the, I'm in the middle of, I'm 400 feet high, um, which is too low for my parachute to work, um, with my hang glider falling apart around me. Um, now, here I am, um, over 20 years later, telling the story, so obviously I survived. Um, but but you can imagine what kind of an experience that was. Um, you know, you're you're looking down at the ground, and you're like, "Oh shit!" Like this is do or die moment, like there never has been before. Um, I'm, I'm staring in die. the jaws of a of a grizzly, and and I have a chance to survive maybe if I can figure this out in a half a second. um and i did i figured it out and i survived and i got to the ground without dying and when um when every single person that was there at the hill ran over and picked me up off the ground and dusted me off they all looked at me and said how the fuck did you do that they don't teach that (laughs) and i'm like i i I don't know
0: (laughs) so did you literally like have to like hold it together? Like, were you literally like supermanning yeah. in the air? Like to talk to it, like, what did you do to survive? Because if again, like you set this up, like really sweet. So chances of you being in the air were long. So obviously you had to figure out how to make the air sour. I don't know. <laughs> De- decline. <laughs> yeah. you, had to, you had to make the air sour and hold it. To, so like, talk to us, like in the moment, like, what did you literally have to figure out and how did you, how did you
1: survive? So, um, what, what happened there, the, the, a, a specific pin fell out and the, the way that the, the, the wing is stabilized is it's the, the there's the wing and then it's got pieces on the top that keep it from folding down. And then it's got um, wires that go down to a, a crossbar that you hold on to to control it underneath. And then there's an A-frame right in right there, which connects those wires up to the wing to make sure that it doesn't fold up. And I hadn't connected the pin right at the top of that A-frame. So I jumped off the cliff and the A-frame swings down in front of me and oh now God. it's hanging below me. So the wing's gonna, it, it is actually starting to flex up. So the first thing I did was I climbed up on that little bar. So now instead of the wing carrying my weight, it was the bar with the wires that were carrying my weight. And that slowed it down, but it wasn't gonna stop it because the wing still didn't have that stabilizer. So anytime the wind was going to blow, even just a little bit, now the wing's going to go like this and like this. And eventually the wings are going to be like, all right, I'm done with this. Let's let's fall apart. So I had to reach up and grab the, the support beams in the middle. So I have my feet on the bar underneath me and I'm holding onto the support beams in the middle. And then I had to drag them down onto my shoulder and hold them on my shoulder so that oh every time God. the wind blew, it was my body taking the pressure of that instead of the wing. Um, that's what kept the wing from falling apart. Then I had to figure out how to get to the ground. (laughs) So yes, I was very literally holding the hang glider together with my, with my strength and my body. That's so were were your parents like on the ground
0: watching as their son is literally figuring out how to hold a hang gliding device together with his body like (laughs) seven the craziest perspective that they ever had that's that's insane oh my Um, gosh
1: they uh and they weren't they weren't actually watching when I took off they were doing something else and somebody next to my father was watching and said oh that guy's gonna die (laughs) so that was my father's introduction to me being in that position was somebody next to him said, oh, that guy's going to die. And my father's like, oh, okay, let's take a look at this. Oh my God. Oh, that, that, the, the that guy who's going to die is my son. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my God. That's insane. And I, I love, I love that for so many reasons. Thank you for sharing. Not only is it like a, a thrilling story and that you live to tell the tale, uh, but I'm just going to plant I'm, some seeds. I'm actually
1: shaking a little bit. So retelling the story even now is, is bringing up some of that. Wow, I that that's insane. I'm just gonna plant some seeds to our later
0: conversation and community. We won't get there yet, but like. You mentioned several things in that story that I think are important to kind of like foreshadow a little bit. You use the words "really sweet," which is language, right? And you talked about a project that brought your family together, which was hang gliding, which are two components of community. So, like, I guess hang on to that in your brains as you're listening to this right now because we'll pull that back in later. But before we dive into community, people kind of got a sense that n- not only are you root, but you are root that can literally hold a hang glider <laughs> together and save yourself. So obviously, you're 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 a able to solve under pressure and and uh kind of create under creative constraints and your your journey has also kind of mirrored that in some ways as i know you kind of went from wall street to creating an own career of yourself so maybe talk a little bit about what you were doing at wall street and how that led to pokemon and the the stuff that you're doing today maybe give us like a 30,000 foot view and then we can dive into some specifics <laughs>
1: Love it. Yeah. Um, I was on Wall Street for 17 years doing mergers and acquisitions. I was the guy on the back end. So everybody hears mergers and acquisitions and they hear $300 million bonuses, um, which happened. That's real. Um, what you read in the papers actually happened. And I was involved in some of those deals, but I was on the back end. So I wasn't the guy who got the $300 million bonus. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't get me wrong. I got paid well, but but not like that. Um, right. I was, I was on the back end, making sure that those bonuses happen. What most people don't know is, uh, in order for a a banker to actually get that bonus, there's two pieces to that story. The first is putting together the deal. The second is making sure the deal works and bankers are not the people who make sure it works. Yeah. They have a team for that. And that's where I came in (laughs) at the time. I thought it was because I was really brilliant at strategy. Don't get me wrong. I am, but I was wrong. That's not why I was good at what I did. Um, so I, I did that for 17 years. I, I truly burned the fuck out. I was completely done. I was dying. Um, I, I, I don't have the picture handy, but I, my wife took a picture of me in 2013 at our uh, wedding anniversary dinner. And I look at that picture and I do not see me. I, I see someone else. Um, I was, I was a ghost in my skin. Um, and so I had to leave and I knew it and she knew it. And the path forward was of course, well, um, I, I, am sort of sell side business strategist. Maybe I'll go and launch my own consulting business and be external instead of internal. And so I, I did, I, I jumped off the cliff and, and, uh, tried to build a parachute while I was falling yet again and succeeded. <laughs>
0: sensing a pattern Um, here
1: (laughs) yeah yeah, kind of Uh, i made 400 cold calls in six months um, which was basically every single phone number i could get my hands on and two people said yes um and fortunately it was the right two people and sometimes that's what it takes so um two two out of 400 is not particularly good a half percent success rate but um it was the right two and one of them was a uh was a manager at the Pokemon company who um, I, I called up and I said, you know, I'm, I'm launching my business strategy business. Let me come in and pitch. And uh, and it it just was a confluence of of perfect moments. Um, they were ready for somebody to come in and and pitch. And so I did, and uh, we we have been working together for the last eight and a half years. <laughs> That's incredible. Amazing.
0: So you literally, basically, cold called Pokemon and have been responsible now for putting vending machines all over the place and, and so so let uh, this is something that I've never been able to talk about on the on the podcast before. So we have to talk about Pokemon for a little bit because Pokemon was near and dear to me growing up. When I when I hung out with you in a revolutionaries call, you were sitting and you took the call from the Pokemon. Lab, I don't know what you would call it. And so you gave us the behind the scenes tour of the Pokemon factory with all the, the vending machines and the stuffed animals all over the place. And I see in the back of your screen, you got a Ho-Oh back there and a Pikachu. I can't tell who's in the middle. Um, <laughs> but Pokemon, my brother and I played it all the time. And so I want to nerd out about this a little bit and, and maybe just understand a little bit like, what are some of the biggest lessons that you learn from guiding strategy at Pokemon? Um, and, and maybe speak a little bit about what it's been. Because you, it's insane. And I'm just going to say this one thing. last thing I shut up. The The fact that Pokemon, people are obsessed with Pokemon. Like those freaking Squishmallow oh, things. Those Squishmallow things like sell for $30. They fly off the shelf and people are reselling these stupid Squishmallows for double, triple the price. And these cards are flying off. And it's just, it's just crazy because my little cousins who are way younger than me are just as obsessed with Pokemon as I was when I was their age. So clearly something is going on behind the scenes about creating uh a uh, culture around this thing creating a language around this thing and i mean everyone remembers when pokemon go came out there was literally like highway signs being like stop trying to catch a pikachu while driving you're gonna kill someone like so so t- <laughs> t- t- talk to us a little bit about like what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned in being a big part of pokemon strategy over these past eight
1: years mm, fun um the first is get get stupidly focused um, I, I, mean, really get so focused that it seems almost crazy. Uh, when I, when I first pitched the Pokemon company, I, I looked at a whole bunch of pieces of their business and I identified weaknesses in every single one of them. And some of them were to the tune of 20, 30% margin. And I, I at, you know, they ended up hiring me for something and, and didn't tell me why they weren't interested in some of those things like 30% margins, an enormous number. Why are you not going after this? after working with them for a couple of years they actually started opening up to me about it and they said we are so focused on this thing and growing this thing and and working with you to grow this one thing trading card company the the trading card game business uh that that these other things that you're identifying and you're right about as as very significantly large opportunities are a distraction even though there's such a large opportunity, they're a distraction. And focusing on that would take us away from focusing on this. And maybe we'd get to keep more of the, at the time, 400 million a year in annual sales, but we wouldn't grow to now several billion dollars in annual sales. And um, and I had a hard time seeing that and, and hearing that. And it, over the last eight and a half years, I have come to recognize that they're right. The more you can focus in on the thing that you're great at, and outsource all of the things that you're not great at the more opportunity to for growth you're going to have and i learned that lesson from the pokemon company Dang. second is you cannot there is no such thing you cannot overinvest in community
0: hmm. okay i want to pick apart both of those obviously we'll focus a lot on community <laughs> but i i want to share not what you said but what i heard in in mm. what you were talking about like the the focus focusing and i've been thinking about this a lot lately because i've spent a lot of time thinking about what are my superpowers my what is my brilliance zone and how can i double down on that and i feel like as an entrepreneur it is always there's always so many shiny objects. And I get, I've been hard on myself in the past when it's like, oh man, I could, I should be focusing on getting real estate and kind of getting that going and like focusing on that and this other thing. And like, what, what I heard and what you said there, it's like, it's not that it's not an invalid thing. It's correct. I could definitely kind of diversify and start doing on that. But is it my natural unique ability? Is it my natural skill set? And could I not get 10 times, 100 times the return if I just double down on some of the things that I'm focusing on and just realize the fact that, yes, I this is a completely valid and 100% something that I could and maybe should at some point be focusing energy and effort into, but I would get better returns if I just literally double down on this thing that I'm really good at. So I, that's that's what I heard. That was a reminder for me because it's like I feel like it's entrepreneurs or anybody listening that is a cu- curious human and has lots of skill sets and are probably good at lots of things, but not world class at one specific thing. It's just a powerful reminder that is, an, is, a, is a reminder from Lucas to to double down on those things that are uniquely yours. And that's where the biggest returns are going to get. So I love that.
1: They, they taught me that in spades. Mm.
0: Amazing. Okay. So
1: go ahead. There, you know, it's important to keep in mind. There are things that have to happen in order for your business to succeed. And some of those you have to do yourself, even if you're not great at them and that's okay. But what you can outsource, it almost doesn't matter how much it costs. Mm. If That's, you can I, outsource it, if you can, if you can free yourself from the energy of the focus on that, and bring in somebody who, for whom that is their greatest contribution to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, highly, highly, so
0: good, so powerful, and I would recommend. I didn't do an interview with Benjamin Hardy on this, but he's got a book called Who Not How that he wrote with Dan Sullivan, but go check out Who Not it's How if you want to double book. down on that. Yeah. So go check that out or go check out my other interviews with Ben, because he's an amazing person. But if you really want to understand this concept, um, would highly recommend that as some bonus things. So um, Lucas, you said you, you cannot overinvest in community. So um, there's some foundational elements that I would love to talk about in community and maybe the, the concept of not being able to impossible to overinvest as a community is one of them, but Maybe double down on that or uh, another thing that I thought would be important to talk about or we can cover both is how you believe that community is at the core of what actually makes us different than other animals. Because I think one of the things I respect about you and your thinking is that you go to first principles, you go way down, you went back through the history books to understand what community really is at its core. And I think that that would kind of lay some of the foundation and then we can maybe dive into the elements of community. So I'll let you take that where you want to take it, because anything, I'm always interested in whatever you have to say, I can kind of just say, talk, Lucas, and I'll I'll be fascinated,
1: so. (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) Yes, thank you. You, I mean, that was a silver platter if ever there was one. Um, when you look around at the world there are two different kinds of mammals that eat meat Um, there are scavengers so think rats and um, look at the way that rats exist in the world and and then there are predators and you know think the lion or or uh, something something similar and look at the way that predators exist in the world and now look at the the sort of core of the human animal and try to fit it into the camp of the rat or the lion. And you're going to notice something very quickly, humans do not behave like rats. We don't hide from things. We don't test things really, really small little amounts. Um, We dive into things absolutely headfirst, absolutely fearlessly all the time over and over again. We behave like lions. And It's not a learned behavior. It's not accidental. We didn't accidentally arrive at the top of the food chain and then start behaving like lions. We go back through all of our history. What we'll see is we started behaving like lions and some combination of our species and things that we do and um, that behavior diving in head first is what put us at the top of the food chain. So, If we look at that as our first principle, we behave like lions, not like rats. What does that tell me that that I should be paying attention to? It tells me that we're a predator, not a scavenger. Now we can look around at other mammals and we can say, okay, what are the key differentiators of predators? Predators have big, scary looking weapons. They have claws, they have teeth, they have powerful muscles. We don't have that. predators have eyes in the front of their heads. Rats have eyes on the sides of their heads. So um, from a very basic physiological perspective, it's very clear to me that we are predators, not scavengers. And we're missing something. We're missing our obvious weapon, our powerful muscles, our big scary claws, our really powerful teeth. So we went and hunted and killed our prey successfully, and we did it without claws or teeth. How? That was my first question. That was my to, to, to borrow from you, Brandon, that was my curious. And how do I move beyond that into something that makes some sense to me? Because it's, it's not obvious. Our, our primary source of food is basically the equivalent of a bison or a rhinoceros. And um, I, I can't wrestle a bison to the ground. I can't punch it to death. Um, if I pick up a rock and hold a rock in my hand and try to beat it to death with a rock, and this is our primary food source. So we've succeeded in killing it somehow. If it notices me trying to beat it to death with the rock, and it'll get pissed off and it'll, it wins that fight, not me. <laughs> Even as a so, man that
0: can hang an air, hold an airplane together. <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it wins that fight, not me. Now we we have rifles now that change the game, but we didn't have rifles before when we were just an animal. And and so so my big question mark, my big curious, the thing that I'm trying to get beyond, the, the question that I needed to answer was, how did we do it? How did we get that rhinoceros and turn it into food, when when we don't have an obvious answer? So it turns out, um, we 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 in modern day, we really love our gods. It turns out that if we had a patron god as an animal, our patron god would be Loki, the trickster god. So um, every single prey animal knows every single predator animal based on that thing, eyes in the front of their head. So when a prey animal sees you humans, they see eyes in the front of their head and they assume that you have big scary teeth and big powerful jaws and big scary claws and they run away from you. And we as an animal learned to use that one thing As our primary source of attack, we can make a bison run away from us. Now, what good does that do? They can run faster than me and they can run further than me. So I also lose that fight. Well, here's what's interesting. Um, Me alone, it does me no good. I don't win that fight no matter what. There is no way for me to get that bison and I want it. That's my primary source of food. But if there are 10 of us... If there are 10 of us, we do win that fight. And we can very literally run that bison, that rhinoceros to death, very literally run it to death. And now we take that rock and we beat it against another rock. And all of a sudden we have a knife and that's it. That's all it took. So our primary weapon is a combination of Loki as the trickster God and working together, working together. Without you, in a very literal sense, you specifically, Brandon, you, whoever is listening, without you, I can't succeed in my hunt. And so um, I've taken that as my very first principle. That's my beyond curious answer. My very first principle is I need you to be safe in the world. I can't do it alone.
0: So good. And I I listened to uh, an interview that you had done too, that this kind of reminding me of this, you had it it kind of blew my mind when I heard you share this. So this came from your mouth, not mine, but it was the fact that like, when we talk about, it takes a a village to raise a child. You had mentioned that you had like a friend or something that did a calculation that it actually costs $350,000 a year to raise a child. Right. so it's like, I feel like, like language, which I know we'll get into like community is one of those, fish not realizing that it's swimming in water kind of things. Like we kind of almost forget today that we exist in community, right? Like I think it was obviously way yeah. more apparent 5,000 years ago or whatever when like, yeah, like this is the people that are helping me survive. But like even today on this call, like the the millions of people that collaborated to literally get this microphone in front of my mouth to then be on the other end of you talking about this, like literally community is what has gotten us uh, so, so far. And so I, I I love that. There's There's another kind of I, I don't know if this is another core fundamental first principle that you'd want to attack before we go into it. But I think another really interesting and dumb question to ask that is actually a profound question to ask is Lucas, what the hell is community? What, what is it like? Because if we've kind of like forgotten what it is, and I, I think it'd be powerful to kind of uncover that question before we dive into the elements of how we can actually intentionally build it.
1: Mm. I love it. Yes. So um, remember that I said in order to get that bison, we needed three things. Uh, We need eyes in the front of our head. We need something like 10 of us working together. And we need to be able to hit two rocks against each other. Um, The eyes in the front of our head is not anything that we do. It, it, It comes, right? We're born with this. But the other two are actually things that we have to put together. We have to manufacture it in a very real sense. I have to get you know, six, seven, eight other people and I have to sell them the idea that we're gonna go get a bison together. I have to manufacture a hunting party. When I think about it that way, a sharpened rock and a community are equally core foundational technologies, technologies, that made humans a successful species. So community is the most foundational technology of humanity.
0: Wow. Doesn't get more foundational than that. And I love too, this kind of doubles down on what we talked about before of your one of your biggest lessons in Pokemon is focus, right? Like it, it is, it is leveraging other people's skill sets is another component of what literally has caused us to survive is because we understood that somebody was better at doing this thing than the other thing. And that's literally what empowered us to kind of continue to evolve. So uh, I love that we've kind of covered the foundation and we have some understanding of it. And I, I think you listening right now, this is just so relevant in any form of growth, right? Like if you are looking at getting to the next level in your business, if you're looking at expanding personally, like, this is something that I didn't—I I didn't realize that I had as a capability was building community, and when this started to come alive for me, you're actually epic it is, at it it. Very, and well, thank you. But I never gave myself permission for that until like recently. Right. And so I think what, what, why I'm so excited to have you on and double down on this is because like community and connection are literally hand in hand that I always viewed myself as a good connector connecting one-on-one, but there's intricacies to creating a thriving and loving and supportive community. Um, and there's so many different nuances. And so I know you have six different elements of community and we can see how much we can dive into some of them. Um, And we've, we've alluded to some of it already but the, the the one that i think is obviously the one that you put first for a reason is purpose so we'd love for you to maybe share a little bit of well actually you know what if you wouldn't mind giving us an overview of the elements of community and then we can we can dive into specific ones
1: yeah actually i put language first um
0: oh okay i got the order wrong <laughs>
1: It's it's okay Um, So so I'm very mechanistic. I I studied physics and math in in college. Um, I'm I'm obviously the way you hear me talk. I'm talking about community, which is like this sort of lovey, touchy feely thing. I'm talking about it as a core foundational human technology. I'm I'm very mechanistic. It worked very well for me while I was on Wall Street, obviously. Um, Curiously, it it does not work very well for me as a podcaster. (laughs) People are not too interested in the whole mechanistic thing. They want to hear stories, which is great. Storytelling is a is a also core technology of humanity. Um, but so there's I've I've worked really hard to identify the mechanisms that make community succeed. Um, partly because I think people have forgotten what community is, and in order for us to be able to rebuild it, we have to actually I'm using the words we have to build it, and building is mechanistic. Um, so there's six elements that I've identified, six elements of community language, purpose, projects. You, you've you brought up language and projects already, and you just asked about purpose. Um, there's value. So this is, this is bi-directional, it's the value that we share and the value that we receive. Um, there's the social contract, the rules that we choose to live by. Um, this is really actually important. People don't think about this. If we, six, seven, eight of us are going and hunting a bison together, the rules that we choose to live by actually make or break whether or not the hunt is successful. Um, so the, the social contract is a, is a core element of community. And then finally, um, heart. And uh, this one's interesting. We actually don't have a word for this in English. And this, I think, is part of the reason why we've forgotten what community is. I could spend all day just talking about this one, but there are some other languages that have this word. My favorite is um, Greek, and the word is philotimo, which is like, um, it translates as the love of honor, but, but it's not really that. Uh, it's more like doing the work that you do um, for the community and through the community with with honor and with love because... Um, you don't know if the person that you love the most, your mother, your wife, uh, your son is going to receive that work. So language, purpose, projects, value, social contract and heart. Okay, so
0: let's let's dive into some of these because these are these are also good. And again, this is something that I'm I, I think it's going to be a focus for 2024. I need to like think about this a lot, but like I'm thinking about this from a business perspective. Obviously, I'm building my own mastermind. I'm super excited for it. It's called Curiosity Island. We'll talk about that a little bit in, the, in this stuff, oh, but cool. but also like personally, because like how much more rich can you make your life if you have uh, an intentionally curated loving and supportive community around you and I think it happens accidentally but what happens when you do this intentionally you know like one thing that I'm literally doing in New Year's Day I don't think anyone's if you're a regular listener on the podcast update and this will happen afterwards is on New Year's Day it's a Milwaukee tradition to do a polar plunge so everybody goes to Michigan the Lake Michigan there's all these freaking crazies and they blow a horn and you know 200 ridiculous weirdos jump into freezing cold water on new year's day in wisconsin and so i literally i I texted a few friends together and i'm gonna get a bunch of crazies to do that kind of stuff and and have a project and all that kind of thing but like i i just there's so much more depth that i know can happen if and i've always wished that somebody would be this person right i've always wished that someone would curate and and kind of create these deep conversations and elements but i've realized like holy shit no i'm the one that needs to do this so i'm just i'm yeah. just encouraging you as you listen to this like whether it is creating community for a business purpose and surrounding yourself with people that can help support you. And like, like we talked about earlier, complementing your unique abilities. That's one lens, but another lens, I would encourage you to look at it from like, what if you did this on a personal level? Like, what if you created a whole new tradition, a whole new way of being amongst your group of friends that, that open for more depth and and relationships and that kind of stuff. So I just wanted to set that as the context here because like, there's just so much value here. And I, I think any of these elements, if you just picked one of them, obviously, if you increase the intentionality, it's going to help so much, but uh, imagine what, what all of it does. So I know we've been, we teased from the very beginning, Lucas, actually, the one of the first words that you said was like the sweet wind or wind with the wind was sweet or something like that. And so yep. talk to us a little bit about language. And this is one of the topics that I could talk about forever on, and it's so good. And I'm so <laughs> grateful that this is element number one of, of, Building community because it is another invisible force that guides our entire life that most people don't even realize. So, talk to us a little bit about language
1: as the first element of community. Yes, I love it. I, I have. I never actually intended to. I didn't set out at the beginning of my life to be a language geek. Like I said, I studied <laughs> physics and math. I I thought I was trying to be a math geek or or a mechanics geek, but. I have become a language geek and, and I don't regret one step of that journey. Um, Language is so important. Language, uh, when, when people think about language, they think the words that I use, which is correct. It's that's where we start. And the more you start thinking about it, the more you start realizing that it's more than just the words, it's your tone of voice and the inflection whether you go up at the end of a sentence or go down, even if you're not asking a question, and there are people that go up at the end of the sentence even when they're not asking a question, where you pause. Um, But then it starts to go even deeper than that. When you start to get together with your friends, notice that it's not just the words that you use or even how how you use them, but it's inside jokes and inside stories. And you'll start to see that the speed of trust Is significantly increased the more that you have these language elements that you share inside stories, inside jokes. Your opportunity to go deep with somebody and to share something that's deep of your own and to ask them to share something deep of their own significantly increases as you have these shared elements. Now you've got inside jokes, inside stories. Now you start to go deeper still and you start to have gesticulations the way that you use your hands and even eye contact and the clothing that you wear and oh my god it can go so much deeper um you and I in the green room before we press the recording were are actually talking about an element of language that most people don't think on um, and I loved it I was like super geek in the moment like my my entire face lit up when you started talking about how you designed your background specifically to Communicate things that are important and core to you, um, and I would love it if you jumped in right now yeah. and told people about it. No, one hundred percent, fucking cool.
0: It's it's literally one of the first things we talked about. And so, like anybody, because I don't really publish the videos of this right now. So if you're listening and you've listened for a while, you have no idea what what, what my background looks like. But for the longest time, I just had like studio foam, and then I got fancy and I added a light, and that was what I did for a while. And that and 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 I shit you not, I remember this that that but that one thing was a massive upgrade in just the way that people interacted with me with my podcast, or even if I wasn't on a podcast and I hopped on a zoom call, they're like, Oh, this dude's in a, he's in a soundproof room. And like that changed a lot, even just doing that. So would highly Mm -hmm. recommend if anybody's a podcast, just invest a hundred bucks in some studio foam and it's going to change the game. But where, where it came up more recently is in one of my more recent groups I put together. um, I call them expeditions, which is part of the language that we can go into, but, but, but we were talking about how much, Barriers can be broken through, and how much deeper you can connect when you have an intentional background that opens the doors to conversations. Because, like, even mm. now, if I was meeting Lucas for the very first time, I see Pokemon in his background. I see rocks in his background. I see, uh, you know, some diplomas in his background and I see nature in his background. Like those are all things that like you are subconsciously communicating to me, whether I'm curious or enough or not to like ask about, yo, you got a ho ho in your background. Let's talk about Pokemon for a second or not. <laughs> like I, I absorbed some of what you value and what you care about through just you without even saying anything. So in my background, I have, um, I have several things. One of them is a uh, picture when I proposed to my wife in Florence, Italy. So it's me on my knee with a backdrop of uh, the Duomo in Florence in the in the back. And then I also have... I love um, that picture. <laughs> thank you. I also have Bowser um, and some Mario mushrooms. Not necessarily because I'm a huge <laughs> Mario geek, even though I do love Mario, but I made that in high school um, out of clay. And uh, oh, I, I cool. really love that. Yeah, so I got some, some clay... Um, Uh, Mario mushrooms. And and to me, that represents my childlike play and curiosity and that kind of stuff is just kind of being fun and empty. And something else that is actually on the bottom, very bottom that I'll call attention to, that represents my core value of conscious storytelling. So there are two little trash cans. One's a green trash can and one's a red trash can. And I actually got this idea from uh, Brian Bogart, who was on the show, but like the language another thing of language that we we tell in our brains this is my core my core one of my core values is conscious storytelling I believe that the the language and the conversation we have inside of our head is our reality the stories that we tell ourselves mm-hmm. is our reality and also the words that we use to talk to others also shapes our reality right and so the trash cans the the red and the green one it was just designed to be a, a memory or and a, a, a forcing function where if I thought of something negative that I didn't want as a story in my head I would write it down on a piece of paper and I would throw it in the red trash can and if I had a good win that I wanted to remember and think about, I would write it down on a piece of paper and I would put it in the green trash can to revisit and recycle over the years. So yeah, wasn't planning on talking about my Zoom background, but it has been amazing because it does lead to deep conversations and it does communicate a language. And I've had conversations with people and literally just talked about Bowser and Mario for like 25 minutes in a Zoom call. But like that allows for so much more depth because I put the intentionality of communicating that ahead of time. So there's my, I guess, my, my rant on, uh, <laughs> on on my Zoom background. <laughs>
1: I love it. And don't forget this, Beyond Curious.
0: Yes, and Beyond Curious, got my neon sign. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, language is really nuanced and it's really important. Now, here's the thing. When when you start to build a really deep connection with people, you're going to notice that you're going to start to um a affect the way that they interact with you so you're going to change the words that they use you're going to change the way that they use their hands and their eye contact and in a very real sense you're going to change the way they dress and they're going to do that to you too so what's cool about that and this really gets my my human geekitude turned way up <laughs> what's cool about that is that we are co-creating reality okay. so we co-create the reality of our interaction but what does that mean for us Externally. We co-create our hunting. We already talked about that. We're co-creating our interaction together. You just said the way that we tell stories inside our head and the way that we speak with other people is our reality. Well, if if a deep connection with somebody changes the way that I speak, it's also changing the way that I speak inside my head, which means that's going to, in a very real sense, without somebody saying, I want you to change, do this. And that's what everybody hears when we hear change that in a very real sense, this conversation that I'm having with you right now, Brandon, and probably even some of your listeners that are really deeply focused and paying attention and getting excited about this, we're actually changing who we are in this Mm -hmm. very moment. Yeah. And, and, and boy, does that get me excited? Yeah, Because Mm -hmm. what's going to happen in Curiosity Island, when you get a chance to do, you know, a a one day super deep dive with somebody, how much can you change when you co-create a new reality together inside a space of trust, inside a space of intentionality, where the co-creation is something that's amazing by intent? Yeah.
0: Uh, we, like here's the thing, like Lucas and I could probably talk about language for the rest of this episode. So <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> we, we could, maybe we could just go for depth and maybe we can get a few other ones. But there's a few, a few things that I, I want to contribute to this conversation as well. First of all, I did a whole episode about the power of language. That was episode number 50. And it was like the biggest insight that I find that when I have like a landmark episode, like a 50 or a hundred or you know, whatever, and I, I try to think about some of some cool things that I can do. And episode 50 was my first, pattern that I realize is the power of language. so I'm glad that you and I kind of arrived at that together but it, it this goes so so deep. There's so much depth to this but it, if you want to nerd out on language go check out episode number 50 or episode 106. I did with Robert Tennyson Stevens. He wrote a book called Conscious language but the, Ooh, the last thing I'll yeah. say on on language it's like another one of those things you just don't realize the the depth of this. It's the fact that we're speaking English right now constrains our reality. Right. Like Mm -hmm. like that is just such a mind fuck, like like literally somebody that speaks a different language has a different perception of reality because their language allows them to say and express even Philotimo, like you said before, in Greek they have a capacity to express something that we don't have the capacity to express because we don't have language for it. So the very language that we are speaking right now by function is limiting or empowering us to view certain specific things. And they've even, I think in episode 50, I talked about like future languages or, or future list languages where where we, there's there's languages where they don't separate the past, present, and future as much, or there's there's old, um, old yeah, Oh, there's old languages as well that I, I forgot, I think it was the, the Cook Th- Thayor people. When they met with someone, part of their culture was, um, Hi, Lucas, I'm heading north, northeast, or whatever. So you had to say, the direction that you were heading when you met someone and like their entire perception oh, cool. of the world was completely shaped because they knew cardinal directions insanely better than anyone else because it was a part of their language. So anyways, um, oh, if, if, well, if, if, this on, is exciting, let's, for...
1: let's go down this no. a little bit. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> Cause, cause the, the, you just, you just got me all excited. Now I don't want to leave it alone. <laughs> there, there are two things that, um, for, for like newbie people really getting into this that I really get excited about. The first is in romance languages, you aren't the thing that you're feeling, you're just feeling it. So in English, mm-hmm. I am hungry, but in Spanish, I have hunger. Tango How hungry, much yeah. different yeah. is yeah. your worldview when you just have hunger, yeah. you just have cold, you just have excitement or sadness? I have excitement. I have sadness. I don't have to become it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I speak Spanish. Mind. I
0: speak Spanish and I never even like really put that one on. That, that, that is crazy. Cause it's literally when we say we, we associate our identity with the emotion that we currently have, like, like that's in English, that's crazy. But in Spanish, yeah.
1: they, they allow it to be transient. It's built into the language.
0: Yeah. And, and Uh, I guess we could keep going down this rabbit hole too. Like another like thing that's just like fun to observe is like, think about if you want to kind of become, start, start, like, it's kind of like, we'll talk about this. You can start to see it all over the place. It's like, it's, it's the four stages of learning conscious competence. I'm not going to go through all of them, but like, we'll make you consciously competent (laughs) by, by, by understanding this, but it's like, look at like, like Swifties, like they have an identity around oh, being yeah. a Swiftie. They have a whole language of it and they, they have, they have that. And then you have, I think you talked about before, like even the your beard, like if you choose to wear a beard, like I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where Harley Davidson is from, you got lots of, but you know, so like the way that we choose to dress is a part of language as well. And, and how we, so, so there's, there's infinite depth to this. Um And yeah. So Thank you for nerding out with me on the topic of language for a while.
1: (laughs) It is absolutely my pleasure. The other one that people really should pay attention to is German. So Mm -hmm. the Romance languages now we don't have to become our emotion, and just think about that and and internalize it and allow that to percolate in your brain. In German, speaking about the future is very challenging. And so thinking about the future is very challenging. And what's interesting about this is that they have a much lower personal debt rate than we do Mm -hmm. because it's so hard for them to think about paying something off in the future. Yeah. It's amazing to me how much and I mean, they're a westernized country. They could have the same. Debt rates as all the other westernized countries, but just because of the fact that speaking about the future is hard and thinking about the future is hard, they have a hard time taking on debt because it's hard for them to think about it. yeah,
0: It's amazing. I, I it's it's so so, so cool. so, yeah, um i I could keep saying one more thing because I have one more thing, but I'm going to choose to move on actually i'm I'm gonna bridge language in, and another one that you the, and another one that you have. um, so, Projects, I think, and we could we could talk about purpose too. But projects, I think, is really important. And and I'll just kind of share a little bit behind the scenes about this Curiosity Island thing that I'm working on. I'm so excited about. But part of what I've been intentional is I've been viewing Curiosity Island as me building a world. It's a lot different than when you treat it like a world building process, like from a fictional perspective of like what would it, a, a a fictional writer or a video game designer creating a world, what would they be thinking about? And yeah. as I've created this world, there's been things that I've been trying to express that didn't have. Any thing that I that, that existed. So I had to create a new way of expressing it. So so I've, I've I'm bridging between projects and, and, and uh language. But one of the things that to me is so important to Curiosity Island that I'm very intentional about is that everyone has to go through a citizenship process at the end of it. You will literally be shipped a fucking Curiosity Island passport. Depending on when you sign up, you will be CI 01. I think one through almost 11 have been taken right now, but like Going through a process together, like creating a a bonding experience where we can all have a language and story around our citizenship process, and I know this would another thing we can nerd out about is like a coming of age, like all the citizens, all the different um, cultures out there. Like, there's always some kind of like cult, coming of age tradition. We've kind of lost some of these kinds of things, but like having a mutual thing that people are going through, that they have stories, they're able to bond on it uh, is, is so important. So that's my, and now I'm taking over talking about projects, but but talk to us a little bit about projects or things that maybe we can intentionally create inside of the communities that we're building or with our friends that would kind of bring us closer together by leveraging projects.
1: I love it. So um, I always had this really weird, and, and I, I'm not looking to throw stones or darts with this, but I always had this really weird red flag about donors for not-for-profits because they're they're a part of the sort of overall fuzzy picture of the community of this not-for-profit but they don't do anything they write checks but they don't do anything and i'm like i i have a hard time conceptually fitting them into this picture Hmm. um and and i could never understand that until i started getting mechanistic about community. And and I started understanding how each of these elements fits together. What I realized is that donors, um, and again, I'm not looking to throw stones here. Um, Donors are not part of the community of the not-for-profit. They're not part of the community. They don't do projects. They don't show up. They don't sweat next to each other. They don't, as you pointed out, they don't have a coming-of-age tradition that they're engaging with inside that not-for-profit that results in shared experiences, shared trouble, shared triumph, shared stories. Remember the language, the inside stories are actually what creates the speed of trust and makes it possible for us to be able to go deep together. And mm. if you don't have that inside story, if you don't have that shared experience, shared struggle and shared triumph, you there there isn't a way for you to build that unique internal common language. Mm. All you can do and this is where it gets funny, is buy into it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So
1: how would you...
0: I have some some thoughts about this, but how would you encourage some? Somebody, if somebody's like, okay, projects that sounds interesting. Like, what is a project that I can do? And I, I think maybe we could like, what is a a simple level project? Like, if we're, if somebody's trying to do this with like a friend group that we could maybe create more community around if we had a project. And then maybe if you're building uh, a project that's more for like a entrepreneurial or supporting your business in some way, shape, or form or your growth. What are maybe what are some ideas of projects that we could actually intentionally
1: start to create? Let's, um, yes, but let me, can can I, can yes. I look at this backwards?
0: <laughs> yes, please look at it backwards.
1: <laughs> um, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert is one of my absolute favorite people to learn from because she stumbled across a lot of this stuff completely by accident. And she's open and honest about how she has stumbled across this stuff by accident. And like you and me, she's also really deep sort of first principle thinker. So when she stumbles across something, she spends some time and pays attention to it. And um, so she did a a really in-depth interview after Eat, Pray, Love was a smashing success. And one of the things that was asked on her was, one, this is not your first book. Why were the others not successful? And what have you learned from this process? And so she went really deep into it. I loved it. I I geeked out on it. This was before I even knew that I was a community geek. I totally geeked out on it. And so what she said was there are these book clubs all over the world that get together and read um, a a lot of different books of which my book is one of those genres. And it took some time for these book clubs to get to the point where they were ready for me to be a core of their sort of um, approach to the world and them getting together and reading books and reading books like the ones that she writes. And it it just was a magical confluence of these book clubs being ready and um, the material that they wanted to read coming together around her being the author who's writing that stuff. And when she published Eat, Pray, Pray, Love, it was not her marketing team that made it a success. It was not her publisher that made it a success. It was these little communities of middle-aged women who get together and read together projects, that made her book an absolute smashing hit. And it was because of these communities of women that get together and read together and maybe drink a a mimosa on Saturday morning together while they're talking about what they read together over the last week that made her successful. And I I had a hard time turning that into something that, that was anything other than something really cool that I held on to in the back of my mind for later for like a decade there it was sitting in my head like teasing me like hey remember this thing it's it's cool you should pay attention to it It took me like a decade to get to the point where i actually could turn it into something useful and here we are now it was projects women getting together reading a book together drinking a mimosa together talking and laughing and sharing their life and having these shared struggles reading during the week while they have children trying to get some time away while they have a husband or or uh, you know work that they're doing and and so they have this shared struggle and then they have this shared triumph they actually got through the reading they all committed to and they get to share the stories the the way that they took that now it's it's not just elizabeth gilbert book clubs that are doing this Bible study book clubs are doing the exact same thing. They're trying to get time away, so they have this shared struggle. They're 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 actually getting down and doing their little Bible studies, so they have a shared success. And then they all come together on Tuesday morning over a cup of coffee, and they talk about what they took out of the, the study that they were going to do over the last week. This is the core essence of true community. It's people getting together, doing things that advance the purpose of their community, whether it's intentional or not, and making their lives better as a result of it, that turns into shared value, it turns into shared stories, deeper language, it advances the project, it, it, is, it is perfect.
0: Yeah. I love that, and I'm just gonna pop up. I'm gonna share an example that, like, literally was the first thing that came to my mind. Uh, Shout out to my wife Leah and her friends uh, Katie and Kim because they love watching the Great British Bake Off, (laughs) and (laughs) and one of the one of the things that they do as a shared project, although I wouldn't have put language to this before, is they'll watch an episode of GBB as they call it, and then they will make some. They will make a treat for that is one of the things that is a recipe on GBB. So it can literally be that simple guys. Like if you oh, want to go create awesome. like a, a a deeper relationship, like why not take something that you're already talking about or a show that you're watching with friends and, and you just create something fun around it. Right. And so they did that completely organically. And you know, uh, every once in a while it's girls night and Brandon around the house, <laughs> but, but I, <laughs> I, I love that they, they have that little tradition and it's just a fun way for them to get together and build deeper relationships and kind of go through that whole thing. So I, I i love that oh man lucas <laughs> um i'm gonna almost like tell you that we need to do a part two instead of asking <laughs> that we need to do a part two because like we we barely you know, covered i would say yes <laughs> <laughs> so so we barely scratched the surface here there's so much more nuance and i think it's just so so important and i can't stress. And I, I maybe you could even talk about this too, Lucas, but it's like th- our world needs this so badly right now, like coming out of COVID and, and the other side that we haven't explored with Lucas that maybe would be part two is like, he's also a technologist. Like you're really into leveraging AI for the good of humanity. Right. And so like, how mm-hmm. does somebody that's obsessed with community and leverage technology to empower and and so maybe you and I can nerd out about that oh. again because it's like there's there's oh, we'll there's so much so that. so much there but this is so important our world is starving for deeper connection and i was just talking with a friend about this earlier today with ai empowering us to create hyper customization I believe that the niches, the 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 community has to get tighter because it's everything is going to be expected to be more and more personalized, and so we have to get more intentional about these elements because the, we're worlding, we're moving to smaller, more tight knit communities, and so if you can be conscious of these things and create it inside of your business, whether because again, your community is your client base, community is the 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 the. People that are inside that are your teammates. Community is the friends that are coming over for Thanksgiving. So it's one of those things I'm just super excited about. So I know I'm just on a community uh, rant here, Lucas. But this has just been so much fun, and I'm I'm so grateful for for our time together. So I guess to kind of conclude part two and leave it on a dot dot dot, I would love to ask (laughs) a question that I've been asking lots of guests, and then we can continue. But what is curio? How has curiosity impacted your life, Lucas? And then we can find out a little bit more about how people can find out about what you're up to.
1: Oh, yes. Um, dude, I, I'm always curious. It's, it is the best part of life all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, there aren't enough things to learn. Like, you know, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. There isn't enough time in the day for me to learn all the things that I want to learn. Like every single time I go a little bit deeper into something, I'm like, oh, I can see more that I want to learn. I can get deeper. I can, I can, I can get to the next level of, of understanding, and I know that as I get to the top of that next hill, I'm going to be able to see even further still, um, and and nothing excites me more than that, and I'll tell you, here's the teaser about AI. Um, those of you who don't realize what AI is, it's, it is a language calculator That gives you access to effectively all of the knowledge that has been publicly available since uh, the beginning of the internet as a language calculator. I, I spend hours a day on it and and I'm giddy like, I'm not tired. I don't, I don't slump out of my chair. Like, oh my God, I just had a four hour session on my computer. I can't take another minute. Of-. No, it's like I spend four hours and I'm like, I don't want to stop, but I have these other things I have to do. Like go to the bathroom and spend time with my wife, but like, this is so damn cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That is so, yeah. That's so, so much fun. There's so much to be. Yeah. We, we, Lucas is uh, on for part two. I don't know when we're going to schedule it. We don't know right now because we're making these plans on a fly. Uh, so whether that's the next episode or we do it earlier in the week, we'll figure out a way to make it happen. It's just a scheduling thing. But this has been so much fun, Lucas. I can't wait to continue nerding out with you. But if people want to find out a little bit more about what you're up to and maybe read some of your writing, just tell us a little bit more about where they can explore the
1: world that is Lucas Root. Love it. Uh, easiest place to find me is um, LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm just LinkedIn forward slash I am forward slash Luke root L U C R O O T. I'm pretty active there. You can, you can find all sorts of stuff. I'm happy to, to uh, friend, you, you know, jump in my, jump in my DMS and, and let's have a chat. Um, I'm a big fan. Amazing. Awesome. Well, I am
0: just going to really quickly have a conversation with you listening and I just want to tell you how grateful I am for you. Like I know you're you're a part of the community that I am building, even I now I'm being more intentional about it. But if you're listening to this right now, that means that. Like somebody that might've dropped off or didn't find anything interesting here. Like You are nerding out about community. This spoke to you. There is something that is resonating with you, whether that is learning how to be Mm. more intentional about creating community with the people that are in your life. Maybe it could be with your family being more intentional about these elements, but there's so much in this episode that can completely change someone's life. And that's why I'm so passionate about podcasting, whether it was a story from the very beginning of imagining Lucas holding together uh hang glider in the middle of the air and surviving to learning about his best lessons from Pokemon to understanding how we killed rhinoceroses that then how and why community is literally a functional element of humanity. Like there's, there's so much here. So my ask is, if you have one of those other curious humans in your life that you feel like wants to learn this kind of stuff that is passionate about creating deeper connection in this world, you just share it with one person. That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking for anything big. Just think of that one person, share it with them. It would make my day. It would make Lucas's day and it could potentially change someone's life. If they, if they go down this rabbit hole, I guarantee that it could absolutely do that because podcasts have absolutely done that for me. So I appreciate you so much for listening, whether you choose to share this episode or not. Thank you for being here and Lucas, any final things you want to say as we conclude part one,
1: Oh yes. Uh may I say two things? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the first is read books. Um hmm. people who write books spend an, an absolutely monstrously huge amount of effort making sure that each and every single word in each and every page that you're turning is the best representation of the best of their material they possibly can put in your hands. It's like having a front row seat to their best performance ever on a stage. Read books. Um, Every single person who writes is giving you the best that they possibly can in their books. And the second is, um, as you're thinking about the power of language, think about the way that you greet your spouse at the end of the day. And what is it that you are saying in the way that you greet them? If you're coming up to them saying, hey, Or if you're coming up to them saying, oh my God, oh my God, it's been such a great day, but I can't wait to see you and tell you all about it. What are those two messages doing inside your head to the way you're carrying out your relationship and inside their head to the way they're carrying out your relationship with them? Mm. Oh
0: man, don't want to add anything on top of that. That was so good. Some final parting words from Lucas Root. Lucas, I appreciate you so much for being here and to be continued, my friend.